1: Are you ready to receive something from God? Do you come in with an expectant heart? Or do you come in just because it's Sunday and that's what we do? If you come in with an expectant heart, expecting to receive something from God, I can guarantee He will not let you down and He will give you something. He will show you something in His Word. But where is your heart when you enter into His house? We can't harden our hearts to the Word of God. We need to listen to what the Lord wants to say and what He has to speak about that. Then we have to obey it. Then we have to move out and do something about what we've heard. Do you
0: come to God with an expectant heart? In today's message from Pastor Dave, he teaches the importance of coming to God with expectancy. When you come to the Lord with expectancy, He is faithful to give. He will highlight something in His Word that He desires for you to hear and obey. Now here's Pastor Dave in the book of Acts chapter 5 as he begins his message, Avoiding the Truth. You are sure.
1: We're going to be studying verses 33 through 39 in the book of Acts, chapter 5. I will read aloud if you want to read along silently, please. Acts, chapter 5, beginning in verse 33. And when they heard this, they were furious and plotted to kill them. Then one in the council stood up, a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law held in respect by all the people, and commanded them to put the apostles outside for a little while. And he said to them, Men of Israel, take heed to yourselves, "'What you intend to do regarding these men? "'For some time ago, Thudius rose up, "'claiming to be somebody. "'A number of men, about 400, joined him. "'He was slain, and all who obeyed him "'were scattered and came to nothing. "'After this man, Judas of Galilee rose up "'in the days of the census, "'and drew many people after him. "'He also perished, and all who obeyed him "'were dispersed. "'And now I say to you, keep away from these men "'and let them alone, for if this plan "'or if this work is of men, it will come to nothing.' But if it is of God, you cannot overthrow it, Least you even be found to fight against God. The message today is entitled, Avoiding the Truth. Avoiding the Truth. One day, a pastor, a vicar, and an atheist went on a fishing trip. They're all in the boat together, and as they get away from shore, the pastor says, Oh no, I left the paddles on the shore. And he jumps out of the boat, walks on the water to the shore, grabs the paddles, walks back to the boat, and gets in. No sooner did he get in than the vicar stands up and says, oh no, I forgot the bait. Jumps out of the boat, walks on the water to the shore, grabs the bait, turn around, and walks back. Sits back down in the boat. The atheist, not to be outdone, stands up and says, huh, if you can do it, I can do it. Jumped overboard and sank to the bottom. Pastor leaned over to the vicar and said, you think we should have told him where the rocks are? (laughs) Sometimes when you avoid the truth, Someone may get wet, like the man in our story this morning. But if we avoid the truth of Jesus Christ, we could spend an eternity regretting it. In our study over the last several weeks, the apostles have been arrested and brought before the council. They were held in custody overnight, but an angel of the Lord came and freed them, let them go. The angel commanded them, saying, go into the temple and stand in their midst and tell the people about this life. They were to go into the temple and tell the people about this new life that they have in Christ. And that that not only this new life, but that this new life was available to those within hearing range, and they could have it too, and they could have this newness of life. The apostles did just that. They got up the very next morning and hit the road, went right into the temple. And there they started preaching Jesus. When the council found out that they were doing this, they were beside themselves, and they went to the temple. Number one, they didn't even know they were out of prison. They sent somebody to prison to find them, and when they got there, they went, they're not there. The prison was shut, locked. The guard was still there. They were gone. They sent the captain of the guard to the temple. They found the apostles preaching Jesus. They again arrested them without violence and took them before the council. So we're back. The, councils are, the, the apostles are now back before the council. We said that the high priest and the associates of the high priest had basically three reasons for arresting the apostles. And the first one was a good reason. Peter and John had, did not obey the direct command by the council to stop teaching in the name of Jesus. Now, the council full of Sadducees and Pharisees were the law for the Jewish people. They were actually the law, and what they said went. They were the law. They were the judges. They were the rule givers. And when they said, don't teach in this name, to disobey them was basically disobeying the law of the nation, defying that law. So in the eyes of the Sadducees, they had a right to arrest them. They were guilty. Secondly, the witness of the church was refuting the doctrines of the Sadducees. They were giving evidence to the resurrection. Remember, the Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection. They didn't believe in angels. They didn't believe in spirits. So this was directly against the doctrine of the church that there was preaching. And thirdly, these religious leaders were filled with envy. They were filled with indignation at the success of these untrained and unauthorized men. Who did they think they were teaching like this? They had no training. We didn't give them the power to to teach. We didn't authorize their teaching, but we know that their power and their authorization came from a much higher source. Interesting to me that in Matthew 27, verse 18, when Pilate was standing before the crowd with Jesus there, he basically gives the people a choice, Jesus or Barabbas. The scripture says that Jesus knew who they would choose, and listen to the reason, verse 27, 18 of Matthew. They handed him, Jesus, over because of envy. This envy is that they had towards Jesus did not diminish now that the apostles were on the scene and filled with the Holy Spirit. If anything, it burned deeper. Now they were even more mad at them. They were even more angry at these guys because their hearts were not right with God. They became boiling mad. Remember that we said that was the word for indignation, boiling mad, and they wanted to kill them. They didn't stop this because we'll read someday in Acts thirteen forty five. But when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy and contradicting and blaspheming. They opposed the things spoken by Paul. The traditions of the fathers had not attracted this much attention or gained as many followers in a very short time, and they were envious of that. We see that happening today. When a church grows real, real fast, other churches become envious of what they're doing. They want to look at, why are you growing so fast? Surely you have a key or you have some special thing that you're doing to make you grow so fast. It can't be the word of God. Oh, no. It's amazing how much envy can be hidden under the disguise of defending the faith. There's envy. It's interesting now that we have a seesaw battle between the Sanhedrin, which is the council, and the apostles. There's a seesaw battle. I, I liken it to a tennis match where they're, they're volleying, putting their serve back and forth. In verse 17 through 28, we saw that the council attacked the truth by arresting the apostles. They attacked the truth, and they arrested the apostles. In the verses we studied last week, We saw the apostles affirming the truth about Jesus Christ. Now, the ball was back in the court of the council, so to speak. What are they going to do with the truth that's now back coming towards them? The apostles never changed their message. They never changed their message. They were steadfast and movable in the name of Jesus Christ. Their message never changed. Whereas the Sanhedrin, the council, they were flip-flopping all over the place. They didn't know what to do. First thing we're going to do is we're just going to warn them. We're going to scold them. Don't teach in this name. Well, guess what? That didn't work. Now they're back before them. And the truth is right back there facing them. What are they going to do now that they are faced with the truth? When you are faced with the truth, you must make a decision. You must make a decision when it comes to the truth. You either accept it as true or you deny it. There is no middle road. I mean, have you ever heard of a half-truth? There is no middle road when it comes to the truth. Way back in chapter 2. When Peter was giving his first sermon after the Holy Spirit fell upon them at Pentecost, we read in verse 2, 37, Now when they, the people, heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? These men were in need of a heart adjustment. The Holy Spirit had quickened their hearts to receive the message of the gospel. Peter brilliantly uses the word of God to accomplish God's plan. The gospel comes out. The gospel does exactly what it's supposed to do. What is the gospel supposed to do? What is the word of God supposed to do to our hearts? Well, let me read for you. The author in Hebrews, in chapter 4, verse 13, says this about what the word of God does. He said, For the word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of the soul and the spirit, and of joints and marrow, and it is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. That's what the word of God is supposed to do. That's what it does. We... We have a responsibility. We need to discipline ourselves and discipline our flesh to allow the Word of God to do what it's supposed to do. We're the ones that have to discipline ourselves to hear the Word of God. When you come to church, are you ready? Are you ready to receive something from God? Do you come in with an expectant heart? Or do you come in just because it's Sunday and that's what we do? If you come in with an expectant heart expecting to receive something from God, I can guarantee He will not let you down and He will give you something. He will show you something in His Word but where is your heart when you enter into his house? We can't harden our hearts to the word of God. We need to listen to what the Lord wants to say and what he has to speak about that. And then we have to obey it. Then we have to move out and do something about what we've heard. You know, these men in the day of Pentecost, when they heard the word of God, they were cut to the heart. Cut to the heart. This should naturally lead to a response. And we read back then that it did. They were curious. They said, what do we do? What a great statement. Can you imagine giving the gospel to somebody and have somebody actually say to you, what do I do? Oh, thank you, Lord. What a wonderful thing that would be. I mean, it's like Silas and, and Paul in the jail in Philippians, right? When the jail falls apart, the jailer comes to him and says, what must I do to be saved? Paul must have said, you've got to be kidding. This is great. Would be that someone would come to us and said, what do I need to do? How do I, should I respond to the gospel? How do I respond to the gospel message? As I said, Anytime the gospel message is given, a response is required. A response is demanded. There are only two general responses. Yes, I want it. No, I don't. There is no middle ground. We've read this verse several times. I'm going to repeat it. It's in Matthew 12:30, and it's also in Luke 11:23. Jesus declares, he who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters abroad. You've heard the old term, to be undecided is to be decided. If you avoid the truth of the gospel, you have decided. That's your decision. And your decision is no. These men back in chapter 2 were cut to the heart and wanted to know what to do. They wanted to know what their choices were. They were worried. They were convicted by the Holy Spirit. And their hearts were on fire. And they didn't know what to do. They asked Peter, what do we do? What do we do? Peter, he never shies away from the truth anymore. Peter never shies away. He looks at them and says, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. 3,000 were saved that day. 3,000. 3,000 were added to the kingdom that day just because they heard the message. They received it with gladness and joy for what it was because it was the Word of God. Do you receive the Word of God as it is the Word of God? You know, since that day of Pentecost, Peter now has preached two times to the council. And each time he has preached the gospel message. He's laid it right before the council. Peter doesn't mix words. He lays it right before the council. We saw last week in verses 30 to 32, this is what he said to the council. And this was the second time. He said, the God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you murdered by hanging on a tree. Him, God, has exalted to his right hand to be prince and savior, to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are his witnesses to these things. And so also is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. Peter, boom, lays it right out there. Here it is. The council is sitting there. The gospel message is before them, and they have to decide. A decision must be made. As we begin this week's study, as we begin this week's study, we look at verse 33. This is how the council reacted. This is what the council does. When they heard this, when they heard what Peter said, they were furious and plotted to kill him. Well, I guess you can know what the response of the council was. But Dr. Luke graphically describes them as being sawed asunder in the heart. The Greek words here actually mean sawed asunder in the heart. And I loved it because if you go back to the original King James, it uses the same words that were used on the day of Pentecost. They were cut to the heart. You know what that tells me? That tells me that just like the men that were gathered on the day of Pentecost, the council's heart was cut by the word of God. That means that the word of God did exactly what it was supposed to do. Peter preached it, and he let the Word of God do the rest. That's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to talk about God. We're supposed to be the Word of God. We're supposed to have the living Word of God inside us. And when we speak, we just speak and let the gospel message do the rest. Let it do what it's supposed to do. Don't force it or shove it down somebody's throat. Let the gospel message speak for itself. I don't have to argue scriptures with anyone. They speak for themselves. It pierced their heart. It cut it deeply. Unlike the men on the day of Pentecost, the word of God found no fertile ground in the Sanhedrin heart. It found no place to plant itself. It found no place to bloom. The truth is now before the council one more time. This reminds me of Jesus again standing before Pontius Pilate. You know the story. Pilate asked him, are you a king then? And Jesus says, you say rightly that I am king. For this cause I was born and for this cause I have come into the world that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth, here's my voice. Pilate looks at him, and I can imagine he probably scratched his head, and he said, what is truth? The only truth in the entire universe, the only truth in the entire world is standing right before Pontius Pilate. What did Pontius Pilate do with the truth? He didn't accept it. He didn't reject it. He avoided it. He avoided it. What did he do? I wash my hands of this man. He avoided the truth. He avoided making a decision on the man's life or death. The truth was standing for it. He didn't recognize it. He avoided it. Now we see the council in today's message. We see the council being led by this noble Pharisee avoiding the truth that was before them. Instead of deciding, they took a wait and see attitude. Let's just kind of wait and see. So we read and we pick up in verses 34 and 39. Then one of the councils stood up a Pharisee, Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, held in respect by all the people, and commanded them to put the apostles outside for a while. And he said to them, Men of Israel, take heed for yourselves on what you intend to do regarding these men. For some time ago Thutis rose up, claiming to be somebody. A number of men, about 400, joined him. He was slain, and all who obeyed him were scattered and came to nothing. After this man, Judas of Galilee, rose up in the days of the census and drew away many people after him. He also perished, and all who obeyed him were dispersed. And now I say to you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan is of men, it will come to nothing. But it is of God. You cannot overthrow it, lest you be found to fight against God. So the Sanhedrin hears the words of the apostle. They're cut to the heart, but they're furious. They want to kill them. And this man stands up. One of the council members stands up in the midst. But it's not just any council member. It's Gamaliel a Pharisee. A little history on Gamaliel. He was the grandson of the esteemed Hillel, who was the founder of Israel's strongest school of religion. He was known as a Rabban, which means our teacher. Rabban means our teacher. This is a step above of the title Rab, which means teacher, or Rabbi, which means my teacher. So he was known as our teacher. Very prestigious, very distinguished human being. In fact, the Mishnah, says of Gamaliel, since Rabban Gamaliel the elder died, there has been no more reverence for the law, and purity and abstinence died out at the same time. Wow. Because of his knowledge of the law and because he walked with integrity and his attempt to keep the law, they actually called him the beauty of the law. That was his nickname. He was the beauty of the law. Josephus says that he is one of the most brilliant thinkers in all of Israel. Another little fact about Gamaliel that we'll learn when we get to Acts 22, verse 3. He had a student. He had a very, very brilliant student of the law. That student's name was Saul. Saul of Tarsus, who later became the Apostle Paul. He was a student of Gamaliel's. The one thing that Gamaliel said about Paul, it was impossible to find enough reading material for him. Man was a brilliant man. That shows you how brilliant Paul was, the Apostle. But it's very, very significant that Gamaliel is a Pharisee here. You know that the Sadducees had control of the council. We read that when we read Acts 5.17. And it was politically foolish for the Sadducees to try to get a Roman execution without the help of the Pharisees. You know, there's some that think that this competition or this control of power was the reason Gamaliel stood up in the first place. This is seen by a way of a Pharisee to take control of the council. Because remember, the high priest was a Sadducee and all his family, they had control Gamaliel's counsel was unwise, and it was dangerous. But the Lord used it to save the apostles. It shows how he works all things together for good. Just the fact that the Sadducees listened to him and heeded his words, the words of a Pharisee, shows how distinguished a man he was. It's interesting to me that many a distinguished man even today is speaking and been given heed even though they speak unwise and dangerous counsel. Many, many people are giving heed to them. We have a responsibility, folks. You have a responsibility. I have a responsibility. We need to take everything we hear, everything that we are taught, and sift it through the Word of God. We need to take everything we hear about it and sift it through God's Word. We must continue to judge that which we hear concerning the Word of God, for therein, the Word of God, we will find the truth. Do not take my word on it. You must be a Berean. And in Acts 17, Paul talks about the Berean church. He said they were more noble than those in Thessalonica. Why? Because they searched the Scriptures daily to find out what Paul was saying was true. Take no man's word on the truth. Read for it. I mean, have you ever been sitting there in front of someone when they spoke? It could be me. I'm a man. I will make mistakes. I don't want to, but I will. Ever been sitting there and someone says something on the head and go, "Ooh, that didn't sound right. That's when you get in the Word and you get in the Scriptures and you look to make sure what is being said is true. We have a job to do. We need to learn only the truth. And you want only the truth in your counsel. We cannot take man's word. I don't care how distinguished the man is or how well-liked he is. You need to rely on one truth and one truth only, and that's the Word of God. Gamaliel says, I'm going to bring up the past because, you know what, the past is just going to repeat itself. This guy Thudius, you know, he rose up and he didn't do much. Josephus mentions Thutius, but they don't think that he's the one that he's talking about here. He might have had his dates mixed up. But Josephus does describe this Judas of Galilee, and it may be the same person here. But Gamaliel tried to use cool logic. And this was a time of heartfelt emotions. He tried to use cool logic, and his approach was dead wrong. It's interesting to me that he takes Jesus again and places him with robbers and thieves and people of insurrection. Here we find our beloved Jesus once again being placed among those that he has no business placing with. It's almost like he will be numbered with the transgressors all over again. What this means to me is that Gamaliel saw the apostle's evidence and he knew it was real, but he had already rejected it. He had already laid it aside. To him, Jesus was just another religious zealot trying to free the nation from Roman rule. But these two men, Thutius and Judas of Galilee, they never even came close to doing anything that Jesus did. Remember, Jesus has rose from the dead. He was alive. These men are in their buried in their tombs right now, dead. Jesus was, was raised from the dead. The apostles were eyewitnesses of that. And it's curious to me that the Sanhedrin never brings this to question. They never bring this to question that they're talking about the resurrection. They never come to that. Interesting. Gamaliel convinces the council that they have absolutely nothing to worry about. He basically says that, you know, troublemakers come and go, But what's needed is patience. This is great for the apostles that spared their lives, but it's bad news for the council because they're avoiding the decision on the truth. Remember we said, don't avoid the truth. There needs to be a decision made. When you avoid it, you've decided. To avoid is to reject. You know, sometimes I think that people are waiting patiently for us troublemaking Christians to go away. You ever have somebody that you've been witnessing to time and time again, they probably go, oh, will you please just leave me alone? And you just go away? Why are they saying that? Because they don't want to face the truth. It's the old Jack Nicholson, Tom Cruise. You can't handle the truth. I got you. You can't handle it because they can't. They couldn't do it. They, it wasn't there. I've had that happen in my life. They probably said, well, you go away. So enough with your praying. Enough with your Jesus. Go away. I'll wait patiently. I'll wait you out. No, the message isn't going to change. The message will never change. The message will always be the same. Jesus Christ, the righteous. You want to go to heaven? It's Jesus Christ. Repent of your sins, be baptized, Jesus Christ.
0: The stories you've been hearing about Peter, Paul, Stephen, and the many other followers of Jesus are meant to inspire you and encourage you. These brave people lived long ago and had the privilege of seeing the gospel message spread from its point of origin, Jesus himself. Their testimony and diligence in spreading the good news of hope and new life changed hearts and saved countless people and continues on even today through the writings and acts and the rest of the new testament however the lives you were studying weren't without trial each disciple of jesus faced persecution in some form yet it never swayed them to abandon their faith (laughs) what difficulties are you facing for jesus now don't lose heart remember that you're sharing the truth and that the truth can set people free You have the Savior of the world on your side, and He will stand with you through every trial and triumph. We're so glad you joined us for today's edition of Assure Hope as we continue to study the book of Acts with Pastor Dave Schenck. If you'd like to listen to more teachings, we invite you to visit our website, assurehoperadio.com. Feel free to download and share Pastor Dave's teachings or subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Are you in the Cape May area? If so, we want to meet you. Come join us this Sunday at 10 a.m. at Calvary Chapel Cape May to learn more from the Word, sing praises to your Lord, and fellowship with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Find out more at assurehoperadio.com. Thanks for joining us today on Assure Hope.